Alright, we are back with Beyond the Sunday Sermon. Pastor Craig here with Pastor Jerry as always. Good morning. And we are joined once again by Anna Corver. Good morning. Welcome all. Good to have you all listening to us, whoever's out there. We are in the end of Ephesians 2. And we we split up the second half that deals with the effects of salvation horizontally, if you will. Uh, the first half, if you remember, is that wonderful passage of, by grace you have been saved, you were the walking dead and have been raised uh, to new life in Christ, reigning with him, and then he moves on to, therefore, there are uh, communal implications of that truth as well. Uh, so it's very clear you cannot be uh, a Christian by yourself. Uh, it leads directly into the second part of this chapter. And this, the last three verses were the focus of the sermon this Sunday with basically three main metaphors, but I really spent most of the time on the last one. The first two were uh, fellow citizens, so there's the political metaphor of being a part of the kingdom, uh, the members of God's family, God's household, uh, being adopted, which we saw in chapter one, and then the bulk, I think, of this little section and I think the hardest probably for us to understand and appreciate is we are being made fitted together to become the holy temple in the Lord the dwelling place of God so he's, he's pulling on a lot of Old Testament uh, passages that were true and in this case uh, not even just passages that were true of Israel yes they were a kingdom of priests a holy nation uh, but they're never told they are the temple and so a, a pretty astounding thing has happened in Christ where they have become, the people of God now have become uh, God's presence. So those were the, the main exegetical points, I would say. And there was, there was several applications that were brought out. But what do you guys want to uh, start with? Well, I'd like to start with talking about the community and mm -hmm. you talked a lot about how we are not just individual temples of God. We are one large temple of God being built together. Um, and then you talked about several implications of that being like this, our personal sins affect the person in the pew next to us because we're all working together. If one brick cracks, I suppose, then yeah. the whole structure can be compromised. Um, how do we deal with sin? And you mentioned decision-making in a community like the church. Why did we bring her back on again? <laughs> because because these questions. <laughs> uh, no, that's awesome. Um, gosh, so how do we deal with sin? As far as uh, what does it mean to say? I guess maybe I should just fill out because I did kind of sure. throw out that that point and didn't expand yes. on it. Um, Part of it, I was thinking of those passages where he talks about the, the eye and the ear and the, the toe. So we are all different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. And we, he, he concludes there with like, we rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We are, we are sort of one, one person. So I think as we either grow in holiness or uh, fall back into sin, that will automatically have an effect on other people. So even if it feels like a very personal sin, let's say, I, 
I've tried to compartmentalize it as much as I can, it's still going to impact your walk with God, and therefore it's going to impact how much you can bless others. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, you will be more of a blessing to the community around you. Um, or if you are trapped in a sin or your shame is, is overtaking you and you can't get out of that narrative, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sort of pull down those around you. Or, or you could say it would have a neutral effect, but neutral is not good because we need each other to be encouraged, right? Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to be a blessing to others to sort of raise, raise each other up to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so... To me, it it's it you can't you can't escape the fact that we do exist next to each other. And if I'm not pointing someone to Christ, then mm-hmm. I'm not having a good impact. Yeah. So essentially, you're saying that our sin breaks relationship, even if we can't see it with with the other church members. I um, think so. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it does. And I would say it at first. This may sound super psychological here, but I do think at first, unconfessed sin breaks relationship you have between you and yourself hmm. and the God you serve. Because living in unconfessed sin means that there is something that you're wanting to hide, which means you spend the bulk of your time trying to hide it, trying to dodge implications from it, mm-hmm. trying to justify why you aren't sharing it. Right. So you spend so much time protecting self that you actually disassociate from the real things that are hidden deep within you. And I think that has an impact on community, mm-hmm. has a deep impact. Because I'm afraid that, I don't know if you guys have felt this before, but when I'm with somebody who I, at least in the moment, deem holier than me, I tend not, and, I, and I'm, I'm living in an unconfessed sin, I tend not to want to really be around them. Because I'm, a, there's a sense I'm afraid that they're going to ask the right question at the at the wrong time for me at the right time, um, in the grand scheme of things, and I'm not going to have an answer. So I much rather either avoid them mm. or spend the most most of the time controlling the conversation. Mm. Yeah, you're not. Gonna, <laughs> you're definitely not going to be as vulnerable with each other. Yeah, yeah. You're going to want to hide, even if it's just mm-hmm. a single part of yourself. You're, that's still going to lead to yeah. superficial relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a case like that, are you supposed to confess your sins to that person? I mean, is, that's, are we... that's a good question. Um, I would say maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a rule saying, oh, if I'm with somebody that I just met and they're a Christian that I have to confess. <laughs> well, not just part. met, yeah. but you're within the church community that is well, your home, your family. Yeah. Right? It, it's... it may depend on who, who they are and um, how close you are to them and what they can actually say. So... For instance, you know, there's people that I know I've known the church since I've been here. But depending on the nature of my sin, it may not be wise to share with them. Mm-hmm. But to share with nobody is another issue. So there should be somebody I go to to confess that sin. But it may not be the person right in front of me. But it may be. Um, there should be someone yeah. who knows all your sin. Yeah. I mean, not all, all <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. But there should, there, yeah, there should not be any, because. Uh, because unconfessed, I, I mean, maybe this is starting to sound too Catholic, but I think Catholics, at least in their in their theology, do it better than us. Um, you can say you've confessed it to God, but if you haven't confessed it to anyone else, mm-hmm. it's not not really being dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can we can manipulate our perception of God so easily that. Uh, 
it's just going to lead to us hiding, hiding so much. So uh, that doesn't mean you have to confess every single time you sin, but um, I think it, it does mean someone knows that you struggle with this sin mm-hmm. and there's accountability, real accountability happening. Because mm-hmm. um, if, that's, if that's not going to happen, then you're not really one with each other. You're not really dealing with your sin. I think, I think it's gospel-driven because we can't be afraid of what our sin could do. We can't be afraid of other people's perception. Um, sure, you want to be wise. You got to think who it's, it should be someone on your sort of maturity level, you know, whether it's confidential or not, you got to think through those things, be prudent. Mm -hmm. But, um, so you're not just throwing very inappropriate, vulnerable sins out into the public. You know, when we have our time of confession and service, Mm -hmm. it would be wrong for some sins to be confessed because that would be either gossip or you're telling things to people and they can't do anything about it. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's, in a sense, like manipulative or, or exploitative, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> should be done to someone. Yeah. So there are different levels of confession. You have personal confession to God, and then you confess to each other, so you can be held accountable. Is that? I think so. Okay. Is yeah. there like a another level that's higher than that? Like, if it's a sin against the church community itself, how does the church community deal with? Hmm. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, then then we're talking more more sort of formal church discipline would be what we call okay. it. Yeah. Um, where church discipline is just a word that that we use in our tradition. It it applies from everything to to this. You could say like we are we are thinking of how does the word apply to my life? That's a kind of church discipline. Mm-hmm. You heard a sermon. That's how the word gets applied to your life. That's a kind of church discipline. But yeah, if it's if it's a more serious sin that you just feel caught in. I would encourage anyone to, to approach an elder, approach a pastor, a women's leader, mm-hmm. uh, to start that conversation. And hopefully it comes with a repentance. Mm-hmm. If it comes with repentance, then it's going to be part of the Christian life. And mm-hmm. you're going to walk, try to walk through it with someone, more than one person. If it gets more and more serious, yeah, it can, it can rise to the level of the session should, should talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know your forgiveness? Are you repentant? Do you know you've been mm-hmm. forgiven or not? Like, are you not actually, you say you're repentant, but mm-hmm. uh, you're, it awfully, it seems hard to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know how much in the details and the weeds we want to get to. That's in the worst case scenario, the person is unrepentant for a long, long time. They're not uh, open to any sort of, pastoral session-led counseling of any sort at that point it gets maybe you're not even a christian now um maybe you should have a time of not taking the lord's supper or Mm -hmm. that's that's sort of the the most extreme or you're not don't take it at all until you've shown some clear signs of repentance but that that's a pretty extreme case Mm. at least Mm -hmm. in our setting Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's it's a good question. I've had many people ask similar things like who and when and what should I confess to other people? Should it be everything? Um, and you, Craig, you mentioned how the Catholics say, you know, 
in, in practice, I think they're on to something with at least there's a priest that they can go to. And there, there's this veil between, between the two. And you could, this faceless person, in a sense, you can go and just bear your soul. And then you can hear some form of assurance that your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't think, I think that's one problem, though. It shouldn't be faceless. It I, shouldn't be faceless. But it should, you, I get we it. need to hear mm-hmm. a real flesh and blood person yeah, right. say, okay, thank mm-hmm. you for telling me your sin. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You are forgiven. Right. Like we need to hear that from a real we do. person, mm-hmm. not just a veil, a right. mask, or something. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. But I interrupted. It, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it needs to be uh, like a, a, to see a face, not just hear a voice. Um, but I think there's something to it. There's there's a person in an office that you can go to. Um, I think the tricky part with doing with other church members is it depends on how close you are with them and and where, like you brought up where they're at in in their faith and um, and how do I confess to this person in the moment? Yeah, how do you broach that topic how do you broach with that? somebody? And- how do you do it without it turning into just a venting session? I think repentance there is a venting aspect to it. Like you want to you need to get things off your chest without being interrupted, right. but it has to go beyond that. Um, it, it has to go beyond. I'm just airing out there needs to be probing questions asked and, and solutions given depending on the nature of, of the particular sin that's being confessed but I think that's a tricky part um, not saying we shouldn't have it we shouldn't go to other members but I think it can make it very very tricky because you can share something with somebody that you're close with and they don't listen you know they don't help they sort of leave you shocked like oh wow I was expecting you to say this I'm, Obviously, I'm creating a scenario that may or may not happen, but I think that's what makes it tricky, yeah. and I think that's why we want to protect ourselves because we're, we're unsure. And I think that's the benefit of an office that you can go to. So, I'm not saying you shouldn't confess things to your spouse. Obviously, you should. I'm not saying you shouldn't confess things to people that you have clearly wronged. Um, but when it comes to the nature of private sins, yeah, maybe the first step you go to is an elder or a pastor. Um, I don't know. I do think people will be surprised if they do take that step. Um, yeah. That they will see that hopefully we we really do mean what we say as far as it is about the grace of God. Yeah. We will not be surprised, for one, mm-hmm. and we will not uh, meet it with any sort of condemnation if you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, we won't meet it with condemnation. We'll just be like, you need a savior. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is leading you to need a, to need a savior. But there are definitely examples I have in mind of people who took a long time maybe, but mm-hmm. they finally confessed to, to me or to the session, and it was, it was absolutely life-transforming because mm-hmm. it, that's how you defang mm-hmm. your sin and you disempower Satan. Because he wants you to keep it hidden. Mm-hmm. He wants you to think you can deal with it on your own, or it's not that big a deal, mm-hmm. or I can't let someone think me about this. Think this about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the reasons to not do it are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you get to the level of it's not appropriate to share with this specific person. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so there are two sides to this. There's the confessor and the one being confessed to. So it's like 
you have to learn how to bear each other's burdens. You do, definitely. Yeah. And, and that's where it probably has be to gracious. be like a conversation. Hey, you want, can you just, can, can we just keep each other accountable? Uh, I need someone to be accountable about this. Mm-hmm. Would you be up for that yeah. sort of thing? And also there is a difference. Sorry if I interrupted you, but uh, there is a difference between straight up just confessing and a more developed like counseling and and l- trying to figure out what repentance looks like. Yeah, those are different. So sometimes you and, and this just comes in clarity of expectations. It's like I just need to confess to someone, mm-hmm. they hear it and they say you are forgiven. Maybe you only have ten minutes and you just need to do that. Mm-hmm. So you leave it at that. Um, that's different then. And if someone just needs to do that, then we would hear that and be like, amen, thank you, you are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, though, if I have more time with someone, I would want to also unpack mm-hmm. what led you to this, why do you think you like doing this, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is it in your heart that may, leads you to love it, whatever. Uh, what does repentance look like? Because repentance looks like different things. If, you're, if you've sinned against someone else or you mm-hmm. sinned against some kind of system, then repentance is going to look like taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a different conversation, I would say, than yeah. just pure confession. Yeah. But what you just said right there, that I, I don't want to take for granted how painful that is for the person sitting, sitting being counseled. Mm-hmm. But, um, and why somebody would want to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it shouldn't be avoided, but I can understand why. Because I've been on that side of the Because we table. love our sin. We love it, and we don't realize how much we love it until we have a probing eye, a, mm-hmm. a probing person that is sitting there and is wanting to get at the heart of things. And then you find yourself dodging. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you find yourself just trying to answer the question you without answering the question. And that can be so uncomfortable, but the beauty of being found out is that now the place that you thought if I, if they knew me there, they would not love me mm. can now be loved. Right. Can now be massaged and healed, can now be restored. That's, right. That's the part that is so afraid. And you don't realize how freeing it is until as you said, it's defanged Yeah. because Satan just wants to tell you, yeah, if, if it's found out, you're going to, you're going to lose this. And to lose that is way too costly. Mm-hmm. It's way, way too costly to confess it. You'll lose this. You'll lose respect. You may lose your job. You may lose you know, influence, whatever it may be. And it's actually the complete opposite. Like mm-hmm. you, It's way more costly to stay in your sin That's right. That's right. <laughs> than it is even to lose your job. If, if the sin is, a, is that serious, it's better to lose your job yeah. than it is to lose your God and to lose your Savior or to not have one. It's, it's that's hard to say, but it is. And hopefully, this is all. Maybe we should take. You had another question, but yeah. Hope this is all going to be done in the context of being gospel centered, right? So, hopefully, it's led by the person confessing. They they want to experience more of the gospel, but I can say for our church, we are always going to be trying to frame it in the context of the gospel, right? Right. So it's it's without fear, it's without condemnation. Hmm. Uh, the goal is to make us more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. The goal is not to expose somebody's sin, and we would never ever tell. We would never expose. Like we would take the confidentiality right. with utmost <clears throat> seriousness. Right. So, 
especially if it's a private sin, it's going to stay private. Stay private, right? Yeah. right. The only the, the only context where it would ever be made basically the the publicity of the sin, the publicity of the sin should match the publicity of the accountability. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've done something in front of the whole church and everyone knows about it, we're going to have to talk to the whole church about it. Yeah. But if you haven't, we're not going to try to. Right. Do some crazy things that right. churches have done. Yeah. Yes, I've. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the other part of that, that I want to leave sin for now. <laughs> 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 uh, you mentioned making decisions and how your decisions affect the community of the church mm. and. Um, and that's that's really hard, I think, especially as an individualistic Western person to think mm. that my decisions about my life affect the community of mm. the church. Um, what is what are those decisions supposed to? I guess I was like thinking and, more specifically about decisions that impact your uh, involvement in the church, okay. and so we have a consumer mindset of. I'm going to only go to an event or only go to a, a service if I know I'm going to get something out of it myself, mm-hmm. which is pure consumerism. That's just, it's just sinful. Uh, we, God has to sort of meet us there. Maybe that's the reason we first start coming. But for someone who, who is actually a, a, wants to be a faithful church member, we go because this is ours, you know? Like, we... People need you to be there. It's not just that you need to be there to get what you can get out of it. Other people need you to be there too, because um, that's that's the whole point of being a part of a community. Uh, so that's what I had in mind. It's not okay. like, yeah, I'm just trying to to weigh my individual. What's it going to cost me? What am I going to get out of it? It's mm-hmm. it's bigger than that. It's like, what is this going to? How's this going to impact the church? Mm-hmm. People people who love me, people who want to see what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. It's good for them that I'm there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a tricky one because I've, I've heard of, of churches, not, not any churches here in New England, but, um, but some in other places, in particular communities, where because of the community, let's just say like the neighborhood, people would move. And it was, you know, on the service of it, it looked like a good financial move, but the church died. <laughs> Because a lot of people left. I mean, and I think that's, I don't want to get too much on the weeds of it because that, that, that's getting into some sticky areas and trying to tell people when they, when, if they should move and when they should not move, you know. Um, but that's, it's kind of sad to see that the choices that, that these individuals, families made to move took resources from this particular community and this church ended up dying. Now, in God's providence, that could have been. It's, you know, it's, it's limited. It could have been like, oh, this church only had a season I'm, again, but that had an effect on the church. That had an effect on that particular community also. Um, so the, there are bigger implications, I think, um, that, that, that could affect the, the life of the church. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's very, very tricky, but I think it's tricky because as you brought up and as you just said, Craig, um, the Western mindset that we have. It's the air we breathe. It's the, the individualistic uh, mindset that we have that my, it's my choice and it's only my choice. And if it affects somebody else, that's just a cost I'm willing to make for my benefit, you know? 
And I think so. I think it's it's we should just call it what it is. Like oftentimes it's just selfish. Right. I mean, it's individualism is not just some kind of abstract way we live our life. It's it's rationalizing mm -hmm. selfishness. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the kingdom of God is much bigger than any one church. So there are always going to be other reasons, other callings mm -hmm. that people are called to. But um, we all should just be on the lookout for selfish motivations to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um you're you're trying to get what's what's good for you, what's easy for you, what's comfortable for you. That's those are not Christian motivations. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, what I was what I was thinking when, when you were talking about the, uh, the 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 church, the people of God becoming the temple of God, and then you said that. You could, and you said you think you can say that. I think you're right. That the church is Mount is the new Mount Sinai. Like mm -hmm. it's where it's God's dwelling place. Um, and I find it amazing that Paul says these things because Paul is a human being, and he and he wakes up on Monday. He woke up on Monday mornings and didn't feel <laughs> like the Almighty presence of God, and like, oh, I'm the temple of God. Um, I'm part of it. It's like I, I love how he makes these very true yet massive claims. And is wedded to ordinary life, mm -hmm. and and I love how he says he doesn't just say you are. He says you're being built into it. Mm -hmm. So there there is the the constant measuring and hammering and cutting and slicing and digging and remeasuring and things like that to to make this beautiful temple. So there's work that is being done. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm me and my my wife we love watching these. These, uh, these these housing shows or shows where you know people are going out and they they have these multi million dollar budgets and they're buying these fancy homes, and we just love living their dream basically, <laughs> no, knowing that we'll never have that, which is fine. But it's amazing we see these really beautiful homes, but I've never met the architect. I've never met any of the workers. I have no clue how much work that went into it, mm. all the mistakes, all the remeasuring, all the digging. Mm. But at the end of it, there's this beautiful, beautiful home that we all get to enjoy. Um, or likewise, when you're on 985 and there's all this like massive construction work going on, like it's annoying to us, but it's actually, it's, it's actually, it's, it's actually, um, providing for other people jobs It's actually, uh, it's going to be a benefit eventually, mm. hopefully <laughs> for, for drivers. And I think that's, that's there, there again, it's, it's the vision of what this road, what this house will be. And, and then it's the day-to-day -day hard labor to get it there. Mm. And we're part of that. Um, so when I come to church, yes, it can be like, oh, my goodness. Um, it's just another Sunday, and then Monday comes, and then Tuesday comes, and Saturday comes, and I wake up again on Sunday, and it, nothing feels like I'm part of Mount Sinai. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, but it's construction work right now. Mm. <laughs> with It's construction work with the vision of it being a beautiful temple. Yeah. So... I mean, yeah, and it's not going to be complete until the new heavens and the new, new earth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word because that's also where the letter goes. He's going to then mm -hmm. he's writing to people who are clearly not perfect Christians. Mm -hmm. They need to put to death their sin because they're mm -hmm. caught up in all sorts of things that he's going to mm -hmm. be teaching them later: mm -hmm. malice, slander, gossip, sexual immorality, all sorts of stuff. Mm. <clears throat> uh, going off of that, you brought up a point in the sermon that I was a little taken aback by, I guess, uh, where you said that we are becoming the glory of God, not just the mm. temple that contains the glory of God. Yeah. Mm. 
ah, uh, where do you get that? <laughs> that <laughs> wasn't I, me. That was Paul. Okay, okay. Was, show it that, to me. That was uh, that was Second Corinthians. The end of chapter three says this: We all, with unveiled face, singular, beholding the glory of the Lord, or it can also read reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. <laughs> yeah, I'm She's still shaking not, her head. <laughs> I'm still not. I, I, because it almost sounds like you're saying we're becoming God. It That's seems, what it sounds know, like it to me. Close. And I, I feel like that can't, that can't be right. It like we're becoming like close. Jesus, right. but we're not becoming Jesus. No, we're not becoming Jesus. We're not becoming the second person of the Trinity. Hmm. But Peter does say we will partake of the divine nature. Yeah. And we are in Jesus. Hmm. So the first part of chapter two, he's he's already proclaimed that Jesus is the name above every name in heaven. He reigns. And then he says, we are there with him. Raised and seated with him in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places where he reigns. So we're in, I, I guess, in Christ. That's what Paul always says. He is mm-hmm. in Christ. We are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been glorified. He sometimes even uses the past tense. Mm-hmm. We will be glorified. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only way we are glorified is if we are sharing in the glory of God. <laughs> I know it should make us uncomfortable. I mean, it does make me uncomfortable because it just doesn't. I don't feel like I can bear the glory, especially you, the Old Testament passage that you had read—the thunder and the lightning, exactly, and the death associated with the glory of God because right. of its holiness. Right. I feel like I'm much more comfortable being separated from that. Um, I think that's the that's the amazing thing about the gospel is. You're right. You can't bear it. And right after this, he does say, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So we are weak, uh, filled with suffering and sin. And most of Second Corinthians is about how he, though he is weak, the gospel is still at work in his ministry. Um, but <laughs> it should feel too good to be true. We, he is making us able to bear the glory of God. Hmm. There's not going to be a temple in the new heavens and new earth because the whole thing is a temple. It's like we're all we're just going to be walking around in the holy of holies. And he is now preparing us for that. And what made Mount Sinai terrifying is because of sin. Um right. it was common for Adam in the garden before sin to walk with God. But walking with God is different from being God's glory. Like I yeah, I don't think it's saying walking that walking around in God's glory in heaven. Yeah, and I don't think it's saying like and Craig, give me, I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong. Like in essence, like the same type. Like we're not becoming God. I think that's. I don't think Paul's saying that. I do, but we are doing more than reflecting it. Um, but so we're doing more than what Moses' face did. Yes, yes. doing more than what Moses' face did, for sure. Okay. Doing more than that. So are we heading towards like almost a participation in the Trinitarian relationship? Is that... <laughs> yeah. 
It seems like, awfully close. I mean, Protestants and Westerners in general are uncomfortable with that, but it seems awfully close mm-hmm. to that. I guess I mean, it depends on what you mean Yeah. by participating in a Trinitarian relationship. I don't know what I yeah. mean by that. <laughs> so we will, we will be fully human. So, yeah. so we are not going to become fully God like Jesus was. Right. Mm-hmm. Partaking of the divine nature in that way, I don't think. But it, it seems awfully close. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think we're just going to have access to the glory of God. We're not just going to be able to see it and look how amazing it is. It's going to be so glorious that it's going to bleed over into us. Mm-hmm. That's why I think part of the promises are we have a new spirit, a new heart, and we are going to be walking according to his law. So we will start to love what he loves. So his glory. So if you imagine, maybe it's just sort of a necessary conclusion. If you imagine the perfect glory of God, we have we have access to it. So all right, so we see it. We now have sin that has been wiped away, and we can fully obey, love what he loves, hate what he hates. Wanted so so what would that not be other than we are walking the glory of God in a sense. You yeah. know, what's going to prevent us yeah. at that point? Uh, I mean, oh. C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory gets at some of this, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really intense. I almost quoted from it. It's, it's amazing. But he, I think he, he tries to unpack some of this, and it is that we will share in his glory. Mm. Are there other passages besides that second? Well, question? later, <laughs> later, uh, he says at the end of four, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory mm-hmm. beyond all comparison. Mm-hmm. And then Romans, Romans eight is where he says almost, almost despite himself, um, those whom he predestined, he also called; those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. Uh, what that seems to be like a, a past tense because it's so certain that it's going to happen. It's as if it's already happened. But regardless of the tense, he's still saying we're glorified. He's not saying God is glorified in our salvation, though certainly that is true too. Um, and so, right above that in Romans eight. 17, we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we will be glorified. But you have to, we have to remember, Jesus is the model for being glorified. So that's why you can say with John the Baptist, I want you to be exalted and I to be humbled. That's the Christian model of life and of glory. So it's not, we're not trying to bring attention to ourselves because that's not what Jesus did. That's not what God does. That's not what God is. Hmm. God is self-giving love. Mm -hmm. And so it's still humility, love, all those things. Mm -hmm. That's how we are glorified in him. Hmm. So right after the passage I read in 2 Corinthians, the unveiled face passage, he says, but we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. That will always be what we proclaim, even when we're glorified. Mm. Um, so I think that's what, 
it would be very strange to say like we're being glorified now. But if we said that, it would only be I'm being glorified in the sense that I'm showing forth the glory of God through what we do, what we say. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this illustration is going to work, but before that, you brought, Craig, you brought up a passage, and um, Anna, you asked, are there other passages that talk of this? And it's in Second Peter 1, where um, verses uh, 3, and really the, the verses in verse... Four, um, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires so there's that there's a verse that's like partakers of the divine nature wow that's, that's like massive mm-hmm. and it's through these promises but the illustration I was thinking and it's going to fall short all illustrations fall short of explaining divine things um but there is a truth that the things that you love, you mimic. Or the other way, like when I'm, like there, 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 are, there have been in my, in my past particular pastors, whether I knew them personally or I just loved their preaching, that I, find my, I found myself doing what they did. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it was more than just, Oh, I'm I'm appreciating what they're doing. It I took it upon me, and it became part of me. Um, and I think that's okay without obviously copy copycat copycatting them. But the things that I love, in a sense, I become. I I, I take it on. Um, Which is exactly what Scripture says about yeah, idols. About idols, yeah, exactly. Those who make and, them become like them. And that's the danger of idols, is because right. you do become like them. Um, and so I do think. Mm-hmm. The more we love God and are loved by God, the more we will take on those things that God loves. And it becomes part of us, not just mm-hmm. not just a reflection, but it's like it's in us to do those things. Um, yeah, so it, it, it falls short, but there, there is something anal- analogous about how we mimic what we love here and how we will take on and, in a sense, become the glory of God. <laughs> it's big. It seems very, <laughs> very mysterious. I guess that's like. Well, it, it is interesting. Hard to comprehend. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to comprehend, but it it would be interesting, I think, for all of us. And and it's not like Jerry and I, you know, ob- understand it and are living it. It's it, it's, <laughs> but it's a good <laughs> exercise for all of us to yeah. think: Why does this make us so uncomfortable, or why does this seem so impossible? Um, there could be good reasons, you know, we want to be truly humble. Yes. But there could also be bad reasons. Is it, is it, we don't think what Christ has done is enough. Is it, we think our sin is just that strong. We don't think God is powerful enough to do it. Whatever. There may be other reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, seems blasphemous maybe. Um, but maybe that's something to leave us with is, Mm. Being united to God should terrify us. It should seem unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It certainly is what Scripture says happens in Christ. So let's try to consider what it would mean more and more, mm. you know, mm. for it to be true. Because mm. he's, he's going to say in chapter 4, we are being built up into him who is our head. 
So I think it's a similar point there. Um, hmm. We'll have a chance to talk more about it then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That Wonderful. Was a, that was a deep one. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening, y'all. May Later. God bless you. Peace.